welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Psalm 127, we're starting a new sermon series today uh, that we're entitling um, Like Arrows in the Hands of a Warrior. And uh, you'll see that this will make a little more sense uh, as we move forward here in Psalm 127. So Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain, he says, you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants or gives sleep to those he loves. Let's just stop right there for just a second. I I love this first half of the psalm. This is a short psalm, by the way, Psalm 127. If you want to memorize it, you can memorize it this afternoon and memorize an entire chapter of the Bible. Uh, It's just a few verses long. But the first two verses are huge. He says, unless the Lord build the house... They labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord watch over a city, they watch, they, the, the watchers watch in vain. What is he saying? He's saying that unless you're doing life according to God's way, you're really doing it the hard way and the impossible way. Uh, building a house, that's, 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 that's code for your family. It's also code for your own personal life. So, so unless, unless the Lord is taking part, unless God is influencing the building of your personal life and of your family, all of the building that you're doing is in vain. I think Proverbs puts it this way. It says that, it says that a foolish woman tears down her own house with her hands. Such an interesting uh, picture. Obviously, she's not going through ripping out walls, but rather she is, she's, she's hurting and she's tearing down the morale and the faith and the, the self-confidence of her, of her children she's, and of her husband, a foolish woman. And, so, and yet, and yet, and yet the, the same proverb says a wise woman builds up her house, right? And so, and, and so what, what Psalm 127 is saying is that when we do life according to God's way, the house is built. But if we build it according to our own way, without God, without his influence, without putting him first in our lives, whatever we build is in vain. This psalm, by the way, was written by Solomon. It's the only psalm that I know of in all of, the, uh, all of psalms that was actually written by Solomon. Solomon is the wisest person that had ever lived. Um, and he also knows a little bit about vanity. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, he talks about how a lot is vain because he, he had it all. And he realized that at the end of getting it all, that if he didn't have God, he didn't have anything. And so he says, look, unless, unless the Lord takes part, unless the Lord builds the house, you can, you can build your house, but it will be in vain. And then he says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the people who watch over it will be in vain. What's that? That's talking about the government. So he's talking about the home. God must be first in the home. And then God must be first in the government. If God is not first in any government, that government cannot watch over itself. <laughs> so if you, if, you, if you want proof of that, just turn on the news and uh, see what's happening. As we, as we put God to the, on the back burner, as we get God in his laws and his ways behind us, we become less and less safe. We become less and less secure as a society. And so this is what uh, Psalm is saying. Look, unless the Lord build the house, the ones who build it will labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards will stand watch in vain. In vain, he says, you will rise early and stay up late toiling 
for food to eat. Anybody here feel like you're getting burning the candle on both ends and still not making it? Maybe you should try doing life God's way. Because when we do it our own way, we end up burning ourselves out. We rise early and we stay up late and we still are, find ourselves toiling for the basic necessities of life. And he says, look, when God's involved, he grants sleep to those he loves. He gives sleep. He gives. And, and that's not just about a good night's rest, although some of you might want to claim that scripture. If you're struggling with sleep, say, yes, all right, God loves me. I'm his child. I'm doing life according to his laws. Therefore, he grants sleep. Claim it. Say, God, look, you said you give it, so I need to receive it, right? But the truth is, it's only when you you are living life according to God's ways that he grants sleep. There's another wonderful passage about sleep. I, I don't know if we've, how much we've talked, but Roe has been dealing with sleep issues. And so we've been praying about this for her and uh, seeking other crunchy medical uh, ways of, of, of dealing with things. She's, 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 she's very crunchy. I'm more go to the doctor and get a shot or something. I don't know how to, how to, but anyway, so we've been seeking alternative, like healthy type medicine for helping sleep. And uh, one night I was praying, praying for her uh, to sleep. This is, this is back, I don't know, a year ago or so. We, I, was, I had my hand on her back and I was just praying for her before she went to sleep. That, that, and, and a scripture came to my mind, this happens a lot in prayer, that God will drop a scripture into your spirit for you to, for you to pray that scripture, right? Because the Holy Spirit reminds us of scripture, and so we claim scripture. And it, and it wasn't this one. This would have been a better one. Uh, but the, but a scripture came into my, to, to my mind that, that said, when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. I don't know if you've heard that scripture before or seen that on a meme. Um, anyway, that came to my mind and I said, yes, Lord. Okay. Lord, that's, that's, that's for Roe. That's for me. That's for our kids. That's for our household. That's for everybody in city chapel. That's because I know many of us are not sleeping well for various reasons. Some of it's medical, some of it's emotional, some of it's mental, some of it's whatever it might be. Lord grant sleep. Let their sleep be sweet tonight. And, and, and I felt like the Lord said, you should probably look up that scripture. So I always stay up later. So Ro goes to bed. I stay up because my sleep is sweet after 1 a.m. That's, that's kind of when it, when it gets sweet. So anyway, I, I, I get on my phone. I check out the, the passage. And it, and it is a passage. I think it's in Proverbs 3 or chapter 4. It's one of the early chapters. And he says, he's, and, and, and he says that you, when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. But when you read the, what happens in front of it, and it's not just that if you're a child of God, your sleep will be sweet. It's if you are holding on to wisdom and knowledge, those two things, wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom is the right, is the God, God view of your life, the right appropriation of knowledge. Knowledge is just simply knowing stuff. It's learning things. And this is where God confirmed to me that the different things we are doing for ta taking road to different places and the things that she's seeking out and the ways that she is seeking out that this is pleasing to God. It's not one or the other. Well, either God's going to have a miracle or I'm going to have to figure this out. No, there's actually both of those together. God's miraculous power works through knowledge. So he wants you to seek it out. He wants you to go to doctors. He wants you to go to therapists. He wants you to figure things out because it is through wisdom and knowledge, actually, that Proverbs tells us in that passage, that God created the world. You realize God didn't create the world just with power. He created it with wisdom. And especially in the charismatic church, we get all fired up about pow. And you got to say it from back, pow. And it's like, we need a touch of pow. And, it, you know, and, and really, we, 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 we idolize power and we, 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 we minimize wisdom. When really most of us don't need a touch of power as much as we need just one sentence of wisdom. 
Like you don't, you, you, you don't need to get zapped with power. You need to pursue knowledge and wisdom. You get knowledge and wisdom and all of a sudden you start creating brand new worlds for yourself. God created everything that you see. He created it with wisdom. Not, not with sheer power, not with just bam, zap, wham, pow. No, but with wisdom. It, it, go, go check out Proverbs. Is it, is it Proverbs 3? Did somebody look that up? Pro, Proverbs chapter 3. He says, by wisdom, the Lord created that. And by knowledge, he established it. So he set up all of this with this. Pow, wham, bam. And so, so that's why healing, real healing, the power of God is not always just lay hands and then you fall out and then bam, you get up and you're healed and you sleep and everything's great. No, sometimes you need to pursue wisdom and pursue knowledge. And that very journey is honoring to God. That very journey is honoring. And that's what this passage is saying. It says, look, unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it. In, in, in other words, God's not going to, boom, build your house in, house in 30 seconds, but rather the journey of building a house based on God's word is honoring to God. God. That is worship. The journey of seeking out knowledge for your mental health, for your physical health, for, for any sleep issues or stomach issues or, or, or headache issues, or what, the, the journey of seeking those things out, it is not unspiritual. It is actually spiritual. To say, how can this help this? How can this affect that? That's actually spiritual. Uh, scripture says that it is, it is the glory of God to cover or conceal something. And it's the honor of kings. And those of us who are sons and daughters of God are, are sons and daughters of a king. It's the honor of kings to dig it out, to search it out, to pull it out. So I want to encourage you on this sermon series. That's what I'm going to be doing. Is I'm going to be helping you build a house with God. I'm going to be helping you build with wisdom and with knowledge. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to, as much as I can, within the short time that we have every Sunday, and actually I think we're going to do little videos throughout the week too, just to, like, like, in our, like in our Facebook group. So if you're not a part of our Facebook group, join our Facebook group. It's a public group. If you just search City Chapel, um, you'll see a picture, I think it's of, uh, of uh, Michelle on the front, on, on the top cover. She's up there worshiping. Peter's playing the guitar. Like that, that's us. Like join that group. And I'm going to go live at different times throughout this sermon series to kind of fill in some of the the knowledge gaps because I really believe that it is so important that we build our homes with knowledge and wisdom from God's word so that we're not laboring in vain because I know every single every single family member in this church whether you're a husband a wife whether you are a son or a daughter whether you're a father or a mother you're working very hard you're staying up late you're getting up early you're toiling and the question is not, are you working hard? The question is not, do you want it? The question is not any of that. The question is, is God involved in all of the work? Because if not, then that's when it becomes in vain. That's when, it, that's when you're spinning your wheels. That's when it's frustrating. So I'm going to help you walk according to God's plan and God's ways. All right? Sound good? So the next, the next passage here in Psalm 127, he says that he grants sleep to those he loves. Uh, verse 3, he says, children are a heritage from the Lord offspring is a reward from him like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth blessed is the man whose quiver that's the holder for the arrows whose quiver is full of them they will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court that's the end of the psalm <laughs> so so he says look if you try building a house without god you're building it in vain 
And then he goes on to give us some description, some, some God perspective on the house. And he says, children are a heritage from the Lord. And so for the next five weeks, I want to do a sermon series specifically on raising children. Now, I've been hesitant to do it. I've never done a ser whole sermon series on parenting or raising children, uh, specifically for a couple of reasons. I think one reason is because I want every single sermon every single week to be applicable to every single person. And so I try to pray about topics that are applicable to everyone. And parenting is not necessarily applicable to everyone. Not everybody here uh, has kids, right? Uh, Bailey, Ryan and Bailey don't have kids yet, maybe. I don't know. They don't have kids. <laughs> Uh, the two young ladies in front of don't have kids. Like, like some of you are still uh, you're 15 years old, definitely don't have kids and hopefully not thinking about kids. Uh, not, you don't even have a girlfriend. Okay, so, 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 so I was praying about this and I felt like the Lord was saying, okay, I want you to do a parenting sermon series. And I said, but Lord, there's all these people in our church that for them it's not applicable. They're early 20s, early 30s, newly married, whatever it may be, 15 years old, like they, they don't have kids. And then we have other people who are like older who have had kids in the past, but now their kids are like my age. They're like 40 years old. They're off, they're doing their own thing. And you know, how is this applicable to grandparents and great grandparents? And so I began praying about this. And one thing that God showed me in his word, just for those of you that are wondering, okay, it's like, okay, Pastor Harry's doing five weeks of parenting. I'm not a parent, so this isn't going to apply to me at all. Uh, the truth is that in God's word, God began showing me so many times, God uses a lot of ink on parenting. God uses a lot of real estate in the Bible on parenting. And yet he still expects everyone to, to read his word. And his word is applicable to all of us. And his word and I and a lot of it had to do with instruction to parents of which was not at that moment applicable to me <laughs> and this is actually true for for every single week that I preach okay a, a lot of sermons you're going to sit there and say well that at that moment is not applicable to me <laughs> and if you are going to be I, I, I try to say this nicely um I, okay <laughs> This is a difficult thing for me because I just want to say what's on my mind. But the truth is like, okay, so um, American wineism is, wine is, wineism is not helpful in getting yourself to a place of maturity. In other words, if you go to church as, as somebody who is shopping at the mall, for instance, and you're like, okay, this is what I need. I don't need any of that stuff. I just need this right here. And so I'm going to go to church to try to get what I need. As a consumer. And it's very difficult to read God's word that way because God's word isn't set up. You might notice there's no topical index at the beginning of the Bible. That's on purpose. Literally, it's on purpose. It's not even chronologically in order. You start reading it, you're like, wait a minute, I thought kings were back there. And now we're talking about second kings and we're in chronicles. We're dealing with other stuff. It's not even, the idea of God's word is that you read it to get God's perspective. And so if you're 15 today, which some of you are, 16, 17, 18, 19, and you say, I'm not a parent and I don't have any parenting responsibilities right now. Okay, but let me give you God's perspective on parenting. Because if you adopt the worldly perspective on parenting now, when you actually do have kids, you won't know what to do with them. I mean, you will, but it'll be the wrong thing. Same thing with marriage. Those of you that are single, and we do a marriage sermon series. I don't need that because I'm single. No, you really, really, really do need it. Really, really need it. 
Because how you, how you marry will affect how you date. And what you believe about a spouse will affect what you, you believe about a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And so it's so important that at every stage of life that we adopt, we reject the world's viewpoint because here's because the world will tell you kids are uh, a bother to you. Kids will wreck your life. Kids will slow you down. Kids were the, that somehow we're overpopulating the planet, which is categorically not true. But the world has all this view of kids, and most of it is quite negative. You kind of survive them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's kind of the plan. It's like well, it's it's it's, it's like it's like taxes. It's going to happen. You can't afford. You can't you can't get around it. So just like grin and bear it and get through it. But God sees children very differently. And I want you to start seeing children the way God sees children. So that if you do have kids, and that's an if, if God calls you to have kids. I don't think everybody's called to be married. Not everybody. Actually, in Scripture, if you're single, the default calling of God is to be single. So that's what Scripture says, that God would rather everybody remain single. But if God's calling you to marriage, if that's something for you, and if God's calling you to have kids once married, which might be the case, might not be the case. You need to pray about it, okay? But if, if children are for you, then you need to understand what these kids are. And then there's all of us that do have kids. And uh, we, they didn't come with a training manual. But actually, like, there is a training manual, and it's the Word of God. Through, I mean, seriously, if you, just, if you just parent your kids the way that Scripture teaches us to parent, uh, your kids will love God, they will follow after God, and you yourself will become more like Christ. So what I want to do for the next uh, five weeks is start walking through parenting God's way. And it's, this is applicable to all of us because also it's important that you understand uh, what, what a parent is. Because if God has chosen to relate himself to us in the form of a parent, he has called himself his, uh, he's called himself our father and he has called Christ our brother. And so this family dynamic, this family thing is actually something that God uses to reveal who he is to us. So even if you don't have kids, you need to know who your heavenly father is. And by the way, you probably are somebody's kid. <laughs> There's a strong chance. And if you could understand what God has to say for children, you will see what God believes your role is right here and now in your family. Even if, you've, even if you've grown, you're out of the house. This is true, too, for grandparents. Man, grandparents, is, it, like, it's not a time to like, go on vacation. It's not a time to, to, to give up on the principles. It's not a time to walk away from your, from, from, from your kids that are having kids. No, you still have influence. Parents never lose influence. You never lose it. It changes. Your role changes over time. Absolutely. But all of the, the stuff that we're going to be teaching here over the next several weeks is applicable to you in your context. And so, so, so I want to share with you from this passage, this idea of arrows in the hands of a warrior. He says that, he says that children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring is a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children uh, born in one's youth. So I, I, I stole an arrow from, from Madden's um, room. Because I feel like this is, this is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk, talk about how children are like arrows. What, what arrow is used for warfare. Arrow is used for conquering. Arrow is used for victory. And I feel like that's, that's exactly what our children are given to us for. Let me tell you, Satan is, is not afraid of you taking voice lessons and starting to sing on the stage. 
Satan is not really that scared of you learning piano lessons and you come up and play worship on the stage. Satan's not really scared of new preachers rising up and figuring out how to preach. Do you you know what Satan is scared to death of? Parents raising their children in such a way that their children fly like an arrow into their destiny. It's amazing how people will spend so much time traveling around doing spiritual warfare, trying to take out different principalities and powers, and yet the greatest fear of principalities and powers is that you stay home and raise children who love God and pursue their calling. (laughs) Pastors get so distracted with growing their churches, but the biggest black eye they could ever give to the devil is to raise up a generation in their own home who love God and pursue their calling. The highest calling of a parent, the greatest weapon apparently that we have are our children for spiritual warfare. He says, look, they will engage their enemies in court and they will win. In other words, when you have victory at home, you have victory outside. When you, when, you have, when you have strength at home, you have strength outside. When, when homes are strong, commu- churches are strong. When churches are strong, communities are strong. When communities are strong, nations are strong. So you can look at CNN and point your finger all you want, but what are you doing in your home to do anything about it? The greatest arrow you will fly into the heart of the enemy is not a blog post that you're going to write. It's not some tweet that you're going to take, take out some, you know, whatever. No, man, you're not going to take anybody down. You, you take the enemy down by investing in your kids, by investing in the next generation. You say, I don't have any kids. Okay, who are you investing in? Who in the, who of the next generation are you sharpening? So this is the, these are the points. I think, I think I have a slide with all the points that we're going to be looking at. Uh, I'm not going to preach it all today, but over the next five weeks, this is what we're going to talk about. First off, we have to take the arrow, right? Then we have to shape the arrow, then sharpen the arrow, then balance the arrow, then release the arrow. So this is what you do. Uh, when, when he said children are like, like arrows in the hands of a warrior, well, in those days, you didn't go to Cabela's and get an arrow like this. You had to go to the woods, okay? So you go out to the woods and you find a branch that looks pretty, pretty sturdy, is, is of a particular wood, all of which I do not know. And then you chop that branch off. You take that. You take it out of its natural habitat. And so that's what I'm going to talk about next week is, is kind authority benevolent authority. This is good for parents. This is good for people who are managers at their job or you're over anybody. God is not against authority. He's against ruthless authority. God is against brutal dictators. He's not against dictators. Here in America, we have a problem with dictators. The last dictator we were close to, we threw a little tea party for him. And um, we didn't, we didn't, we're not really down with that. You know what I'm saying? But yet you read the Bible and God constantly describes himself as a dictator. He calls himself the king, the king of kings, the king of all the earth, the sovereign one. Show me where he gets elected in scripture. Show me where somebody, where he's, where he's taxation with representation. No! It's not. That, 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 that's, what, that's what Satan is all upset about. This guy's bossing us around and we never ask him to. Who, who would do that? A dictator. So God is a dictator, but he is a loving dictator. He is a benevolent king. He is a king who is also a servant. He gets down and washes the feet of his subjects. He is a king who serves, but he is also a servant who rules. 
And in our generation, we seem to have thrown the baby out with the bathwater and we feel that authority itself must be bad. Since we've been under some bad authority, authority itself must be bad, but that's not true. You have to go into the woods and you have to break that branch off of its natural habitat. This is what God does for us. He doesn't just leave us the way we were born and oh, you're just perfect the way you are, Harry. Otherwise, I, I would not be preaching. He, 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 he created me to be shy, backward, quiet. And then he said, at age 14, I want you to preach. Now, wait a minute, hold up. That doesn't work with shy, backward, quiet people. <laughs> so why would God do that? Because he has this great habit of taking us from where he finds us, breaking off what feels natural to us, getting us out of our comfort zone and giving us a brand new purpose that we didn't even know was inside of us. And if that's how he parents us, if that's how he fathers us, this is how we father our kids. This is how we mother our kids. This is how we parent them. We, it's okay. The way you were born, I mean, that's not okay. We have to, we have to take you out of your natural habitat because God has a purpose for you. God has a plan for you. God has a vision for you. I know every six-year-old has a vision for themselves, but God has a vision for you that's much greater. Man, when I was six, I wanted to be a lawyer which I think I'd be pretty good at it, by the way. I'm pretty good at arguing. I'm pretty good at making my point. You know what I'm saying? I can make some money. That's why I wanted to be a lawyer because somebody told me lawyers make a lot of money. I was like, that sounds like oh, that's what I want to do. So from the age of six to like 11, I want to be a, a lawyer because I want to make a lot of money. But now I realize that I'm too ethical for that. <laughs> There's no way I could defend some of these guys. No, it's like, no, he's guilty. Definitely. Just, just lock him up, will you? Just, just throw away the key, actually. I mean, he told me everything. All right, so let's just do it. But, you know, so, but God, so God knows you better than you know you. God knows that you don't really just want money. You want purpose. And God knows that you don't just want money. You want stuff the money can pay for. And God can just give you that stuff for free. <laughs> God grants sleep, which is way better than money. God grants peace, which is way better than cash. And then that peace actually some, a lot of times generates cash because you have new ideas to make more cash. It's really interesting how God's ways are best. So God finds you. See, I'm taking too long. But anyway, he finds you and he breaks you and he takes you for your good. That's the difference between a brutal authority and a kind authority. A kind authority says, I see something in you and this is for your good. You are going to thank me later. All right, uh, then we shape, okay? So the shaping of the branch, you take, you take that branch and you start chiseling off all the ends that, that don't make it straight. So for us, we're going, to, I, I, I wanna teach you how to shape your kids in a Godward direction. In other words, how to shape them in a way that they are focused on like that they figure out who they are, who God has created them to be, that they figure out their God-given shape and not just who God's created them to be, but who, how God structured the entire world. It's so important that we as Christians give our children a biblical worldview. So that's what the shape is gonna be about. And then we sharpen, okay? So every, every, every arrow has a sharp point and you sharpen that point and get it fine down so that it is razor sharp and it goes into the heart of the enemy. Well, the point for us is the gospel. That's the point. The point of parenting is to bring our children to the gospel. It's not to bring them to some cultural truth. <laughs> because, and oh, by the way, there's a lot of, there's a lot of tempting, distracting points going, floating around right now. You need to make sure your kids are good at sports, so sign them up for everything. <laughs> there's a lot of tempting points 
because who knows, they might get a scholarship. Oh yeah, then they can go to college to not do that for cheaper. Oh, this is wonderful. Let's spend all our time doing what they're not going to do so that they don't have to pay for as much. Do you realize if you just taught them about a 401k, they get free college. Like literally, it's just the compounding interest. Teach them about that. Anyway, that's a whole nother sermon. But the point, like there's all these tempting false points in our life, whether it's sports, whether it's academics. I know parents that, like I've heard of parents who keep their kids out of church because they didn't get good grades. Tell me where the priorities are. You, you see the point. The point is you, you're going to get A's or you're not successful in life. The point is you need to be good at school or you're not successful. Can I tell you what my point is? My point is the gospel. My point is that at the end of parenting my kids, I, I don't want anything else for my kids other than that they, they, they follow Jesus. They know Jesus. They follow him. They submit to him. That's the point. That's the entire point. If they never get a job, I'm fine with that as long as they know Jesus and follow Jesus. If they never move out of the house, if they live in our, we don't even have, I don't even have a basement. Like if they, I mean, like literally if they're like, like whatever your version of failure is that your culture has given you, if they are that, if they look like that, if they smell like that, if they sound like that, I don't mind as long as they know Jesus and love Jesus. In fact, we were talking, we were watching um, Different Strokes. I don't know if you guys remember Different Strokes from the 80s, late 70s. Different strokes it takes, different, yeah. What you talking about, Willis? Um, we introduced the kids to Different Strokes, and uh, there's, there's one episode, they're always dealing with these different social things, you know. And so there's one episode where they're dealing with um, teenage pregnancy. And uh, they were dealing, there's this 15-year-old girl who, who, who gets pregnant. And uh, this is the early 80s, and they're like, oh, what do we do about this, you know? And they're trying to teach different things. And so Micah, it was me, uh, Micah, and Madden. Micah is my 10-year-old, Madden's my 13-year-old. And uh, Micah, he's trying to stir the pot, right? And he's like, he's like, Dad, what would you do if Madden got pregnant, you know? <laughs> and so they're both kind of looking at me. And so I, I answered as honestly as I could. I said, well... That would, that would go against everything that I'm parenting for. So, so, so basically, one, I would be really broken about that. Because if you're sleeping with somebody outside of marriage, you're not submitted to Christ. You're not a Christian. You're not going to heaven. Which means you're on your way to hell. And the most awful thing I can imagine is that my kids are not with me in eternity. That they are suffering forever in hell. That would break me. So I said, I would quit. I would quit pastoring. At least for six months or a year. I mean, I like you all. <laughs> but you're not worth my kids. So I'm quitting my job. Roe would probably, we'd sell the, sell the farm. Like, we're changing everything. You're 15, which means legally, I can keep you in the house for the next three years, all right? And like, I'm not doing that to be mean. I'm doing that because it's, it's not working what we've been doing. So I just change everything. And I would say, look, I'm going to spend all this time loving you and telling you about why I love Jesus and how real he is. Because if you're ready to turn your back on him, you don't really know him. You don't really believe in him. I mean, really, you can't tell me that you believe that the judge of all the earth is actually the judge of all the earth. And then you decide to go off and do your own thing. You just, you just don't believe it. And so I'm going to do everything I can to convince you. And I mean, I'll go deliver pizzas or whatever I can do for a job. I will figure something out. But the whole point, 
like, and, and, and you say, well, that's kind of extreme. Yeah, it's extreme. We've made extreme decisions in order to bring our kids to the gospel. My, my wife is very capable, could be doing, running her own corporation. She ran her own clinic for a while, has totally dropped out of the professional sphere, except like as a pastor's wife, which is way under what she can do. It's kind of like about my level, but you know, that's like way below what she's capable of. Like she could be making so much money right now. She could be so fulfilled, doing so much good. She's totally dropped out in order to spend time with our kids. Like we've made financial decisions that have said, you know, for a while, our life's not gonna be that great, but our kids will know God. And we've made educational decisions for our kids. We've made relational decisions for our kids. We've made relational decisions for us. It's like, well, hanging out with that family, those kids are a bad influence on our kids and we don't want that. We really like hanging out with that family, but we don't want bad influence. And so we've made like, like we've made real life decisions. And what I would love, my prayer for you guys is that as we preach on parenting, that you look at your own life and say, okay, maybe we need to make some actual, not just like, like, amen, Pastor Harry, that's a good sermon, but real actual life decisions to get to the point of parenting. That the point is that our kids would know God. And if that's not happening, what do we need to change to get that to happen? Well, it sounds kind of extreme. Well, it is extreme. Would you be extreme if your, if your child had brain cancer? Would you just go about your life, oh, honey, shake it off, like, go out there and play flag football? No, like we're gonna, we're gonna uh, no, we're gonna go to some doctors. I'm, like, my life's going to change. Why? Because I prioritize the physical health of my child above my job, above my ministry, above my calling, above all kinds of other things. I'll sacrifice everything to save my kid's life. And if we would save our physical lives. What about the spirit? The physical life is only going to last like 70, 80, maybe 90 years if they're lucky. But eternity is forever. And so I'm investing everything into this. Like this is everything to me. That my wife goes to heaven, that my kids go to heaven. I don't care I, you know, if I have to sacrifice everything else. That's the point. So we sharpen that point. We point our kids every single day in the direction of the goodness of God. And by the way, this, is, this doesn't come natural. Pointing children, heck, pointing yourself to the goodness of God does not come natural. We are far more quick to be judgmental. We are far more quick to be focused on behavior, far more quick to be concerned about what other people think. And then, then you have all the other points of society of you should think about this and you should think about social justice and you should think about that. And you should think, it's like, wow, okay, I don't know. But I do know, I do know the gospel, that's, that's the point, that God loves sinners and gave himself to save us. That's the point. And so we sharpen our kids and then we balance. Every single arrow would need some kind of feathers that they would, you know, install on the back end of it. This is balance. This is, this helps it not just be straight and go where you want it to go for half a second. <laughs> this gives it longevity. I want my kids not just to love Jesus from nine to 18 years old. I want something that kind of floats on its own. You know what I'm saying? And that, 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 that balance comes when we internalize the gospel. So when we point our kids to the gospel, that's good. But the goal is to create balance so that they themselves internalize the gospel. So we're going to talk about the six areas of conflict uh, for, every, for every kid, ways that they can internalize the gospel. And this also applies to you all. 
because that's my goal of preaching too, is to help you internalize the gospel. That's what I'm doing up here every day, <laughs> every, every, every Sunday. Uh, and then finally we release them. And some of you are, are, are at that place where you're, you're releasing. And uh, an arrow that stays in the quiver is not very dangerous. We must release our kids. We must send them into their destiny, into their calling, and not trust them, but trust God in them and see God work through them. Because ultimately, if we, if, we, if we take them, shape them, sharpen them, balance them, when we release them, what happens is we, we, we live in, I think it's um, Ted, Ted Tripp wrote a book called um, Shepherding a Child's Heart. And Ro and I have taught this uh, a small group several times. It's about parenting. And he says the goal is to live in mutuality with our kids under God's rule live in mutuality. And in other words, to live with them in such a way that it's like they have a walk with God, I have a walk with God. And we talk as peers almost about the God that we are under. That's what we want. We want to release them and then we want to like partner with them like friends. Not when they're six, when, <laughs> but when they're, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I just want to be my kid's friend. Back it up a second. Back up, back up, back up. You have to, once you've taken shape and sharpened and balanced, then this mutuality, this friendship begins because they're serving God and you're serving God. They're under God's authority. You're under God's authority. And that's where we want to go. So over the next several weeks, that's, that's what we're going to be doing. Let me just give you just, just a, one point today uh, to close out uh, the service. And it is that, um, and this, this, this is something that is going to encompass all of these points, by the way. It's the idea of the heart of our kids. When I talk about raising children, I, I, I mean specifically that we want to invest in their heart health. We want them to have healthy hearts. Their heart is so important. By the way, your heart is so important. God is primarily concerned with your heart. When Jesus was asked what is the greatest commandment, he said to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and soul, mind, and strength. He started with, so heart is so important. Heart is important for several reasons because uh, behavior, our behavior, comes out of our heart. It flows out of our heart. Uh, Proverbs, we have this up on the screen. Proverbs chapter 4, uh, if you put Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. All of your actions come from your heart. It, it, Jesus said uh, again in Matthew 15, 19, he said, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. Our culture won't tell you that. Our culture will tell you that all that stuff comes out of a bad environment. <laughs> all that stuff comes because you were born into poverty. All that stuff comes because of your skin color. All that stuff comes because of uh, if you're Russian. Uh, all that, like, you know, whatever our society doesn't like at the moment, that's where that stuff comes from. But scripture teaches us that it's not based on your ethnicity. You could be Russian or Ukrainian or American. It's not based on your skin color. It's not based on your gender. It's not based on your level of privilege. And we all do have different levels of privilege. And it's not, it's not based on your economics. All of these things, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, come out of the inside of us. And I, and, and I know that's really unpopular because what's popular is to say, well, well, you don't know their heart. No, actually you do know their heart based on what's coming out of their life, what's coming out of their mouth. 
we, we find all these excuses for it, like, well, I was hungry, that's why I, that's why I, was, I was hangry, that's why I said that, you know what I'm saying? It's like we, if we find all these circumstantial evidences, why? Because we're trying to defend the heart. Because inside, we really believe we're good people. And yet Jesus said about the heart, he said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. It's not, inside of all humanity is not this kind of gooey goodness There is a brokenness inside of us. We are born with brokenness. We are born with sin. That's why you can travel to wherever you want in the world and you're going to find racism. It's bizarre. It it might be against white people. It might be against black people. It might be against yellow people. You're going to find racism. Why? Because hatred, which is the root of racism, not ignorance. Ignorance is, is, is just you didn't, you don't know stuff. But hatred is where you look at somebody and say, they are less than me. And you find some reason why they are. It might be their skin color. It might be their economics. It might be the accent. It might be the way that they talk. They're from the Appalachia, right? They sound like a hillbilly. Or whatever it might be, you find some reason. Hatred is going to find some reason to hate people. And all of us are born with hatred in our heart. It comes out of our heart. Murder comes out of our heart. It's not because they did this or didn't do that or whatever. It comes from the inside. Scripture has this wonderful way of drawing a connection between the fruit and the root. In other words, the fruit that's on the tree and the, the roots of the tree. And we would be really wise to do the same thing. So even in your own life, never mind parenting, just in your own life, as you look at your life, say, do I have the fruit? Do I have the evidence of following Jesus, of knowing Jesus? Is there, is there circumstantial, like if, if, if I was put on trial and they said, this man's a Christian, would they have any proof to prove me guilty? Or does my life reflect other things? And so the, if that's true in our life, it's also true in our parenting. And yet oftentimes as parenting and also just regular people, we get hung up on the fruit. So we come to church, we're like, yes, okay, I'm going to start following God. I'm going to start doing this church thing, which means I'm going to start doing what is right. That's behavior. And so here we are, this broken tree, no fruit to speak of whatsoever. It's all withered up from years of living for ourselves. There's all these like bugs. I don't know what kind of bugs eat trees, but like these bugs is like eating the, the, the life out of this tree. And we come before God and right away we feel like we got to start putting some fruit on it. Why? So that people know that we're a Christian. Right. And, 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 and even some churches talk about that. They're like, well, you need to live right so that you don't embarrass Jesus. Right. You don't make him look bad. What they mean is you don't make the church look bad. <laughs> anyway, so, so it, 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 it's all fake because you're basically taking this fruit that you haven't grown yourself. You heard about it in a sermon one time. You're tying a little string on it and you're hanging it on the branches which looks like a full apple tree. Wow, look at that tree. Isn't that that just wonderful? And you can keep that up for a while. People are like, wow, wow, their life's really changed. Wow, they're doing great. But really all you've done is you've added a bunch of behaviors. Going to church, serving in whatever ministry that you needed, saying the right thing, posting scriptures now on your Facebook. Like, like, wow, look at all this fruit. Well, okay, I mean, that's, that's, that's good. And there's nothing wrong with the fruit. The problem is with how you got the fruit. Did you actually change the root system? Did you actually change your belief system? Did you actually change your heart? Your heart is the, your desires. 
And this is what happens. People don't change their heart, so their desires stay for the things of the world, or the, the, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the desires of the pride of life. Their heart stays in a worldward direction, but their actions are in a Godward direction, and there suddenly becomes this conflict, and they feel like a hypocrite. And they end up walking away from God because they don't want to be a hypocrite. And I agree, don't be a hypocrite. So the best way to not be a hypocrite is to allow God to change your heart so that instead of wanting this and doing this, you want this and do this. You want God and you follow him. And the problem is we don't, we, we don't change our heart because we focus on behavior. And the same thing is true with our kids, right? Um, how many of you were told as kids, just, just act right? <laughs> just, <laughs> just act right. My mom would say, straighten up and fly right. I don't know what that means. I still, to this day, maybe it's an arrow thing. I don't know. I was, I was six years old. I'm not flying yet, okay? I don't know. But, it was, but, but the, the, the idea was clear that you're not behaving correctly and you need to behave differently. I've been in grocery stores before where parents are like, you're, you're embarrassing me, be quiet. Like parents are more concerned about how people see them than they are about their kids' hearts. But parents, but this, 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 this goes back to the, I guess, the sharpened point. In order to really parent the way God parents, we have to focus on the heart or the intention or the desires of our kids. I was talking to a parent just uh, a, little, a little while ago. His, uh, his child is reaching the age where the, he's noticing uh, members of the opposite sex, and they're kind of getting into dating. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that. It's natural to be noticing members of the opposite sex, to be attracted. Uh, teenagers, nothing wrong with that. But the goal, and this is what I said, the goal of parenting is to raise young men and young women who want, who desire, who are attracted to godly young men and young women. Because you can try to manage them and be like, no, no, don't date them. They're bad for you. No, don't date them. But that's what will happen. The, 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 it'll, the arrow will get all crooked and stuff. Um, yeah, we, 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 try, we try to hem them in to, to protect them, to keep them safe. But honestly, the amount of less than stellar options out there, <laughs> it's just, you, you, it's just, too, it's just no, like you're just never going to eliminate all of the less than stellar options out there. Instead, if we can train our, our kids to be attracted to godly uh, character, to godly young men, then when sketchy young men come around they won't be like oh I, I should date him and this is more than just like I see like on Facebook like I open the door for my daughter so that she learns that you know the husband of her dreams will open the door for them like I don't know I don't I don't know that that's I don't like that's that's southern hospital that's manners that's a whole nother thing right like if you want the southern thing go for it like I'm not against that whatever I'm not into that Roe gets her own door most of the time she's she's it, they're, they're buttons now for crying out loud I mean back in the day you had to crank the thing to get it started and all that stuff like we're not we're not there anymore we're just not a horse and buggy I'm not lifting her up anymore like this is a whole different thing but but not I mean godly character like sometimes we get those confused too we get we get we get we get modern niceties or, or uh, certain types of mannerisms confused with godly character but i want my kids to fall in love with people who love god who have submitted to him in their lives not sexually confused 
not, uh, not, 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 not sexually promiscuous, not rebellious, not liars, not against their parents, not against the government, <laughs> not anti, like, like I, I want people who just, who love God. Like, kind of like me, and kind of like their mom, and how I'm raising them to be. I want them to fall in love. I want them to be attracted to that. And when they're attracted to that, then you say, well, that's, well, well, Pastor Harry, that's really rare. There's hardly any men out there like that. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I was one of them, and I, I, I was very rare. You walk into a church, and it's like all the girls, like, boom, like, you know. <laughs> I'm not saying it's good. Like, we need more. So raise your young man to be one. Raise your young men to be one. I know it's rare. I know it's lonely because they're not going to have a lot of friends who understand them or think like them. And that's true. They don't need a lot of friends. They literally don't need a lot of friends to be successful. They need Jesus to be successful. They need to walk with him. And God will bring one friend, maybe two friends. Heck, maybe five friends. God, will, God knows how many friends they need. God will bring friends into their life. God will bring connections into their life, right? But they'll be the right friends. They'll be the friends that influence them to do what they are already loving. You attract who you are. You attract what you love. You attract what you're looking for. And so as they go out into the world, man, we want to raise our kids from their heart. So that's, this is why the change has to happen in the heart, not just in behavior. Because if the change happens in behavior, then they'll look like a good tree. But as soon as they get out from under mom and dad's watchful eye, what they want to do is what they'll do. Just like you. <laughs> well, you do what you want to do. So no, 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 Pastor, I really, no, 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 you do. You actually do what you really want to do. And so the trick of Christianity is allowing God to change our want to. And when he changes our want to, the root of the tree changes. This is why not all bad behavior is bad. This is why perfection is not the point. This is why trying to make sure our kids never make a mistake, that's, that's not the plan. By the way, if you're married and you never have an argument, you're in trouble. I'm just FYI. You, you, you don't know it yet, <laughs> but you are. Because the goal is not to have this perfect behavior or perfect look about you. And so any time you have an argument as a marriage, it, in, in a marriage, it can go one of two ways. It can be a blessing to you or it can be a, a hurt to you based on how you deal with it. Same is true with your children and bad behavior. When, when my kids misbehave, this is a wonderful opportunity for us to bring revelation to them and it's revelation to me and bring repentance to them. So, so this is why like bad behavior or, or behavior that we don't like can be helpful. And so this is what I want to teach you. And it's not that we don't care about behavior. In our, in our house, look, if you're misbehaving, there's consequences and repercussions. There are consequences and repercussions. Uh, I forget what that's from, but anyway. Uh, so the, but no, the, the, just, just like in God's word, there are consequences and repercussions to bad behavior. Absolutely. But, but God never just beats us over the head with that and says, stop that. I really need you to act perfect so that I look good. It's not what God does. God takes us when we misbehave, when we go against his law, and he says, okay, now what does that say about your heart? Because your heart's deceitful, remember? It's not going to tell you that things are wrong. It's not going to tell you that you're prideful. Those of you that are really, 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 really prideful, you probably think you're humble. Because that's what your heart keeps telling you. Man, I just, I laid, I just, wow. 
I'm just so humble. I mean, I just let everybody, uh, all the compliments, I don't, I, don't, I don't dwell on them. They just roll right off my back. I'm so humble. Yeah, that's what your heart tells you because it's lying to you. <laughs> if you think you're humble, you're not. Right? Oh, I, I never get offended at anybody. Wow, you probably get offended at a lot of people. Your heart is so hard from being so offended that you now don't let anything touch you and you never emotionally invest in anybody. Your heart lies to you and says that you're healthy, but you're not really unhealthy. Those scales, that's not skin, man. That's thick scales that God wants to pull back and it's going to be hurtful. And if you're so focused on perfect behavior, you'll never let God actually pull back stuff. Because you're like, no, 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 that'll make me, that'll make me mad. I can't do that. Because we think that our Heavenly Father wants perfect behavior. And so we also want that from our kids. And we think our, the main goal is to have kids that we can take to a restaurant and they won't embarrass us. But the main goal is that we have kids who love God with their heart. That know God with their heart. And that doesn't mean that then, well, they're crazy at restaurants. No, actually, when you love God with your heart, you're very respectful to people around you. It's amazing how thoughtful you can be. I, I, we've raised two. We're in the process of raising two. The first one, she was just born kind of angelic. Um, the other one was like just a selfish little bugger when he came out. He just, he thought about himself all 24-7. Like it was just, and, 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 and it, we, we got a hold of this book, um, uh, this parenting book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, when Michael was about one year old. And we started applying these principles and it was so amazing how helpful it was not to get Micah to behave like Madden, because honestly, I said Madden came out as an angel. She just acted like an angel because she's her father's daughter. <laughs> we are naturally, it's why we make great lawyers. We're really good at deception. We're really good at even deceiving ourselves and saying, oh yeah, I love God with all my heart. Look at how good I act. Look at how kind I am. That whole pride, humility thing, I'm preaching to myself, a 12-year-old me. Like, that, like, it's for real. But it's, but it's real because the heart, there is no such person who's born angelic. Jesus is the only one who was born perfect. The rest of us born messed up. And the question is, how are my kids messed up? And if I don't know that, if I think she's angelic because she acts right, and he's not angelic because he doesn't, <laughs> I'm, I'm in the dark on my kids. And so many of us, we, we can't raise our kids well because we literally don't know them. We've never taken the time to figure out what, what is underneath Madden's good behavior. What is underneath Micah's bad behavior? But by the way, it does come out at different times. I remember uh, shortly after we started reading this book, Madden and Micah were in their room playing and uh, you know, there was some screaming and crying. Micah was about a year and a half or two. Madden was like three or four. And, and Madden had a toy and Micah wanted the toy. So Micah took the toy and Madden wanted the toy back. So she pulled it back and there was hitting and there was screaming and there was crying. And so I walk into the room and my natural instinct is, all right, what happened? Why? Because I'm going to be the arbitrator of good behavior. <laughs> I'm going to figure out, like, who did what was wrong. Usually, it goes down to who did it first. Because apparently, if you're, if, you're, if you're the first person to do something wrong, that's wrong. But if you're the second person to do something wrong, that's not wrong. It was NFL rules. <laughs> who threw the first punch? That's who's getting the flag. So I'd be like, all right, Micah... 
you were the instigator of this whole thing, therefore you're getting in trouble. There's smack on the hand, don't steal your sister's toys, you have all these other toys, right? And, 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 and the thing is, when you're not dealing with the heart, you have to come up with all these other ways of motivating, right? So you have to tell, you have all these other toys, you have to tempt him, bribe him, right? You have the, this toy, you like this toy, right? This is a fun toy, this is pretty cool. Or you have to guilt them. Your mom and I spent so much money on all these toys and you don't even play with them. You just want this one single toy your sister has. You try to guilt them. Do you know how, how hard it is for me? I work at the church all day. I come home to screaming kids. I mean, I hardly even wanna, I, I hardly even wanna wake up in the morning because I, I feel so awful with the unrest that you're causing in our home. We start guilting them. Or sometimes we'll drag Jesus. What would Jesus think if he saw you right now taking your sister's toy? I don't know, ma'am, what would Jesus think about what you said to your husband last night? I mean, this kind of guilt is not of God. This isn't how God deals with us. He doesn't come down and be like, after all I've done for you. My goodness, you had all this other stuff you could be doing, but oh no, you wanted that. Like, no, this isn't how God works because God goes straight to the heart. When we're focused on behavior, we need to get different ways of motivating. So we'll try to bribe them or, or we'll threaten them. Right? I'm going to count to three, and, and, and three is God's number, and the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, so and the three, like if you're not over, you're not in the car, by the time I say three, you know, it, it, we're threatening them, creating fear of misbehavior. It's interesting, maybe you could just ask your kids simple questions like, okay, would you get more in trouble for, and do something to see where the values in your home are. Would you get more in trouble for breaking a vase or disobeying a known command of your, of your dad. Oh, if I broke a precious vase, that's where I'd really get it. Well, then you see where the value is. You see where, where the focus is. And so, and so when we started reading this, I, I, the same thing happened. And Matt and Micah, they're going at it. And instead of like arbitrating justice and punishing the perpetrator and defending the innocent angel girl who's not innocent because Jesus said, if somebody comes to you and says, look, give me your jacket. Jesus said, you should give him your jacket and throw in your shirt too. Wow. Okay. So, 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 so Madden's not innocent. Mike is not innocent. Huh? What's going on here? So I had to sit down with them and I said, okay, first of all, what did happen? Cause we need to figure this out. And then once I got the story straight, I said, okay, how does God, what has God said in his word for you to respond? And both of them actually had the same heart issue going on. They're both selfish. The person who steals from somebody and the person who will not give to somebody who needs are both selfish. You protect your 99%, you protect your 90% with your guns, right? And think that you're justified. All the Christians in the room, you protect, you got your 90%, now I'm going to protect it and not give it away to anybody. And think that you're justified. And yet you walk by people who need, and it never touches your heart, it never grips you. You never invest in them. Well, I'm not stealing. Okay, but are you giving? So this is, this is the thing. So we see both of these behaviors. And so I get to sit with both my kids because this is not a time to condemn them. This is a time to shape them 
and sharpen them and bring them to the gospel. Because just like they're both selfish, (laughs) I've been there and still am there sometimes. And so I said, okay, there's hope for people like you and me. And it's found in the, the story of the gospel. A God so loved sinners gave himself for us to save us. Finally, the heart is, is the source of our desires, but it's also what God's after. In uh, Proverbs 23, we have this scripture for you. Proverbs 23, 26. Uh, this is a father writing to his son. He says, my son, give me your heart. That's the goal of parenting, by the way is to win the hearts of our children. Not to win the good behavior, although good behavior will flow out of that. He said, my son, give me your heart and let your eyes delight in my ways. Do your kids delight in your ways or are you just... I I think sometimes we just spit out instructions. It's like, well, they know what is right. They know it because they heard it from me. For 15 years, they heard it from me. Well, okay. But did they delight in it? Did it make them happy to walk in it? Did they see how joyful walking with God is by walking alongside you? Scripture says those who walk with the wise will become wise. And so I think one of two things is happening. Either we're not wise in our own life. We're not enjoying the ways of God. We ourselves are like, oh man, I really want to do this, but I have to do that. We ourselves are not delighting in his ways. We have second step is actually to spend time with your kids. And I mean quantity, not the modern myth of quality. We spend quality time. Oh, you mean like three hours a week? No, the old-fashioned quantity is still way better than the new modern quality. Because you see where the influence is. Your little bit of quality time cannot compete with their friends at high school's quantity time. And the influence goes toward quantity. This is why I say we make life decisions in order to have quantity time with our kids. Not just quality. By the way, every hour is worth about the same. Just FYI. (laughs) In terms of quality. Like, it it is. It's all worth the same. And so it's literally quantity. This is how you stack up influence. Is by the amount of time that you spend. And he says, my son, give me me your heart. He's, He's not just content with his behavior. He says, give me your desires. And by that, he doesn't mean like desire me. He means give me your desires allow me to shape them. Allow me to direct your desires toward things that are good for you, toward things that are healthy, toward things that are helpful, toward things that are holy. And I believe that's what God's saying to all of us. God, as our father, is saying, give me your heart. Give me your desires. So how do I do that? Well, it's time. Coming here on Sundays is a part of that, sure. Taking time out of your weekend to worship him, to hear his word, to open his word, absolutely. Taking time out on Wednesday nights, which we're here, worshiping and seeking him and often opening up his word. Taking time, absolutely. But, but not just church time, but personal time. You have to give him quantity of time. He wants to spend time with you. Every time you come before him in prayer, he's never like, oh, really? 
Come on. Here we go again. Didn't we just talk yesterday? No, your heavenly father understands that the way for you to start delighting in his ways is for you to spend time with him. And he enjoys, he delights in spending time. I mean, don't you delight in spending time with your kids? <laughs> Isn't it a good thing when, when, when you hang out with them? And I understand sometimes for financial reasons, you know, that you can't spend as much time as you would like to, right? Some single parents have to work and different things happen. But, 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 but my goodness, what, what if you could find a way to spend more time? Wouldn't you do it? And if so, if you, being human, you do that, how much more is God just saying, look, I just want to spend time with you? Why? Because I want your heart. And if you'll give me your heart, then I will shape your desires and I will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. The Christian life is not just following rules and this difficult thing of, I just need to, I just need to do it. No, it's about getting to know your heavenly father, allow, giving him your heart, giving him your desires, allowing him to shape them. So let's just, let's just start that right now. And this is a start because the rest of the week is going to be you choosing every single day to spend time with your heavenly father so that he can shape your heart. Because unlike your kids, you aren't trapped like in God's house. You know what I'm saying? You have options. Which, by the way, this will, this, this will probably, if you can learn how to desire to spend time with God, this will help you with your adult kids too. Because your adult kids have options. And if you, if, if, I want to spend much time with you. And so this, this, is, this is great for those of you wanting to spend more time with your kids and they don't want to spend time with you. You learn how to spend time with your heavenly father and you'll be able to teach them the patience. You'll, you'll grow the patience needed to create a safe space for them to spend time with you. So Father, we come before you right now as your creation made in your image. We are, in that sense, we are children of God. We are offspring. We've come from you. And you as a heavenly father, you're speaking to us right now saying, my son, my daughter, give me your heart. Give me your desires. Don't give me your behavior. Don't, 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 don't give me your church attendance. But give me your heart. Give me your desires. I want to be able to shape your desires. Don't just give me what, what you need from me. Father, we, do, we come to you and we, we're needy people. We have a lot of needs, obviously. And you want to meet every single need, but before all of that, you want us to give you our hearts. And so, Lord, we give our hearts to you right now, just in prayer. I know it's actually something that happens over time, but we make a commitment right now to submit our hearts to you, to give our desires to you and allow you to shape us. We know that you are a safe place. You don't judge us and condemn us. You are a safe place for our heart to rest. Father, may we also become safe places. That as, our, as our heart rests in your hands, that we learn how to be safe places for our kids to rest their heart. And just like how you hold our heart, you don't just hold it and just stare at us and smile and nod. You speak to us. You direct us. You correct <laughs> At different times, you, you rebuke sometimes. 
but it's always gently. But you, you shape us in a way that's good for us. Unless the Lord build the house, actually the Lord wants to help build the house. So when you hold our heart, you hold our heart and then you get a trowel and you start laying foundation for us to stand on. For us to build walls and a roof and shelter for the next generation. So Lord, we give you our hearts. We give you our minds. We give you our interior life, our desires. We give you our emotions. We give you whatever issues are in our heart, whatever anger might be there, whatever unforgiveness. We give that over to you. We ask for you to shape it how you want to. We submit to you because we are your children. <laughs> we are your kids. And you are an awesome father. Amen. Amen. All right. Anybody ready to get to work spending time with our Heavenly Father this week? Awesome. We'll do it. Enjoy it. Uh, kick on some worship music or something while you do it if you want. Um, carve out some time. Mornings, evenings, doesn't matter. Um, yeah, it, it'll be well worth your while.